Hey, world travelers. I'm Samantha Williams. And I'm Samantha Knoll. This is Death on Destination. Each week, we tell a story of people enjoying paradise before something went terribly wrong. As travel agency owners, we've seen the most beautiful locations. And we've also seen what hides just beyond gorgeous tourist sites. Join us this week as we discuss the eight-day bride from Toronto. On May 12, 1947, a new love was about to blossom. Just a year and nine months after the end of the Second World War, two people not only fell in love, but decided to run away and get eloped. And that's where the story of the eight-day bride begins. Christina McCone was a 22-year-old bank teller from Mimico, Ontario. She fell in love with John Ray Kettlewell, also known as Jack, who was a 26-year-old Canadian Armed Forces War veteran. Jack was in the dental corps of the Canadian Armed Forces during his tenure with the Canadian Armed Forces. Christina's parents, who were of Polish descent, were opposed to the marriage because Jack was not Roman Catholic. Another important player in this story is Ronnie Shufo. For our episode, we will be calling him Ronald or Ronnie Thari, as that was the name he had chosen when he moved to Canada. So Ronnie was a Northern Italian who decided to move to Canada to try and get in the construction and insurance business, but he did not have much success. He was Jack's best friend, and we're not exactly sure through all of our research exactly how these two met. The 28-year-old was a professional ballroom dancer in his past life, and he actually owned a cottage in Severn Falls, which will become important here in a little bit. Prior to the marriage, the three of them, Christina, Ronnie, and Jack, spent a lot of time together. Like three peas in a pod. Yes, exactly. Well, that's that's kind of nice, though, that she took on the friendship as well. So they became close, too. Right. What was crazy is because Christina's parents obviously were opposed to the marriage. So Christina and Jack decided that they were going to elope. So they eloped on May 12th, 1947. Okay, so where does Ronnie come into play here? Ronnie actually was there for the elopement. And then the three of them went on the honeymoon together. So their best friend, his best friend, but it seems like he turned her best friend, went on their honeymoon with them. Yes. That's weird. It's very weird. I don't necessarily think I would want my best friend. Love my you. Honeymoon. I do but too, I would, but I, I would not want you on my honeymoon with me. So one of the things that I find interesting, because we looked this up because we were very confused about this. So they spent the first few nights of their honeymoon in an apartment in Toronto and then moved to the Severn Falls cottage that I mentioned earlier, that belonged to Ronnie. So that's where he maybe came into play. And that's why they ended up where they were. Yes, but as a best friend, I would just say, here's the key. You go enjoy your honeymoon. I'll see you after. Maybe they did things different in Canada in 1947. Canadians are super nice, right? Like they they wouldn't be able to say no. I, I guess not. No is a good word in my vocabulary, though. So a few days after staying at this 
apartment in Toronto. When they moved to the Severn Falls Cottage, it was very remote. You could only get there by boat. And from the photos that we've seen, it seems like the cottage itself was maybe just a one room style, open concept, very rustic, made of beautiful rock. And if you look at the picture too, you can just see a lake just a few feet away from from where the cabin sat, tall, full evergreens surrounding it. It was very much a place that a lot of people would love to honeymoon. It was secluded. It was quiet. You can see where this is going, Sam. It can't just be beautiful and serene and quiet. No. So while it may have been beautiful and serene and quiet, it's also the perfect location for something mysterious and something less than beautiful to happen. So on the morning of May 20th, 1947, Ronnie Barry decided he was going to go fishing, leaving Jack and Christina at the cabin alone. Oh, he gave them alone time. Yeah, imagine that. Like, honeymoon couple needs time alone? So from our research, it it appears as though Christina decided to go sunbathe while Ronnie was fishing and Jack was in the cabin alone. Once Ronnie was done fishing, he went back to the cabin thinking he was going to just join Christina and Jack for an afternoon. When Ronnie saw the cabin up in flames, he ran to the cabin to try and get Jack out. He went in looking for Jack and Christina He said he could not find Christina anywhere, so he pulled Jack out. Once he got Jack out of the cabin, he noticed that Jack had a gash on his forehead, but he decided to go back in to find Christina, and when he couldn't find her, he came back out. Ronnie decided to take Jack to the hospital, but it took an entire hour for that cabin to burn down, which is a little weird that he waited that hour to take him what would then be about 24 miles or 40 kilometers to the nearest hospital. And they had to go there by boat. So when they finally got to the hospital, the doctors immediately noticed a large gash on Jack's head, which granted, when you have a head injury, there's a lot of blood, even if it's not that major of an injury. So we don't really have good source material to tell us how bad that head wound really was. But it was not until the doctors found traces of codeine in his system, did they even think to call the police? What? Yeah. They found codeine in his system? Codeine, which codeine is a, a form of mild medication that helps with pain, but it's also used a lot for cough suppressant. So I don't know why he would have that in there because again, we don't have any information to tell us that they were sick. So right. I don't I don't know where that came into play. If that was that should have been there or not. However, when they finally got a hold of the police. The police went directly to the cottage, understandably, where they began gathering water from the lake to put out the remnants of the fire. It was not actively burning, but more smoldering. The man who arrived on the scene at that point worked for the police department and said he saw no sign at all of Christina anywhere. So this is where we start to spiral. At least when we were having conversations about this, this is what kept us going down rabbit holes. So when the police got there, there was no sign of her anywhere. And again, you have to take a boat to this area. So it's not like she could have just disappeared without someone seeing her. Not at all. And in fact, she was actually found face down in about nine inches of water at the riverbank by a neighbor. How would they have gotten back without seeing that? I don't know. So here's the strange thing. Jack had a head wound, so he was clearly unconscious. 
Ronnie said he went into the cabin, not once, but twice, because he pulled Jack out and then went back in looking for Christina, could not find her, but a neighbor found her at the riverbank, which, by the way, was not very far from the cabin. In fact, 150 feet from the cabin, and she was barefoot and in her pajamas when this neighbor found her in nine inches of water. Oh, that's yeah. terrifying. Another crazy thing, you know, you mentioned that there was codeine found in Jack's bloodstream. Autopsy results show that there was also trace amounts of codeine in Christina's bloodstream. So because she had codeine in her system, what did they decide her cause of death was? The official cause of death on her death certificate to this day is drowning. What? Yes. So my question is, they both had codeine in their system. So what were they doing? They both had codeine in their system. So, I mean, were they just taking codeine and having a good time together? I don't know, but that is not my idea of a good honeymoon. Right? (laughs) This is very strange. It is definitely strange. Autopsy results also showed no signs of physical injuries or burns on Christina's body, as well as she had no smoke damage on her lungs. She couldn't have been in the cabin when it was burning because if she was, she would have had some sign of either burns or smoke damage to her lungs. Wow. So this turned into a giant circus. And we know that because... 22 people, including Jack and Ronald, were questioned by the police after they found Christina's body. Ronnie was interrogated for 13 hours. And then Jack was only questioned for three. I saw that. And like, why would they question Ronnie for 13 hours and Jack for only three? Was it because Jack had a head injury? Yeah. So I think they thought that because of that, and he kept saying, I don't remember anything leading up to the attack. So they might just have assumed that he literally did not remember anything. But then June 19th, 1947, so the same year, about a month later, the inquest finally began to see if Christina's death was a suicide or a homicide or what went wrong. This was done at a courthouse. And instead of these two characters being kind of solemn and sad that their best friend and their wife passed away, they were treated like celebrities. People were asking for their autographs, Sam. What? Yeah. Women were swooning over these men. That's just crazy to me. So during the inquest, there were a lot of things that came to light. One working theory that, and of course, this is still an unsolved mystery to this day. So there's lots of working theories here. One of those was whether or not this whole incident was as a result of a love triangle, meaning, so during the inquest, Jack admitted during his questioning that there was a sexual relationship between himself and Ronnie. But then, After he admitted that, he retracted his statement and said, I was made or coerced to say that, but it gets better. He then retracted that and said, no, 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 we really did have a sexual relationship. So he couldn't make up his mind. Right. He couldn't decide, did I, did I not? 
But then here's the weird thing. Ronnie also admitted that he and Jack had a sexual relationship. So was this a lover's quarrel gone bad? Or did Ronnie want Jack all to himself? So the two of them devised this crazy plan. Hey, I'm going to hit you upside the head and set the cabin on fire, but I'm going to save you. That's a really in-depth lie to create, right? What if you hit the guy too hard? Right? I mean, wow. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would be... That's the kind of best friend I want. Right? <laughs> Let me whack you upside the head while I'm on your honeymoon with you. I don't think so. <laughs> no. So another theory that seems really plausible is the fact that Christina had some mental health crisis going on. So during the time at the cabin, both men described her as kind of acting irate, yelling for no reason, just not saving herself. But it gets a little deeper than that. When Ronnie ran into the burning building, he was able to save, not Christina, but the suicide letters that she'd been writing for weeks, Sam, weeks. Wait. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The first one was written five weeks before she got married to Jack. They hadn't even gotten engaged yet. And during this letter, she was so concerned that Jack was going to end up with another woman that she said she'd rather die than have him with someone else, which I don't know what led to that because we have not found anything at all to suggest that he had other women or that he was talking with other women or anything along those lines. So it just seemed kind of like paranoia. Right. Then the second letter, she goes on to say, I'm just going to read an excerpt of this. When you love someone, you really love him. And I know there is no one for me, but Jack. And if I cannot have him, I don't intend anyone else to. As you might say, I waited in the hope that Jack would ask me to marry him, but I now realize that I might just be a passing fancy. She goes on to say she no longer just wanted to kill herself. She wanted to take Jack along with her. Wow. So obviously not, you know, very mentally stable at this point. What I found crazy is that most of these letters were addressed to Ronald, except for one, which was to her landlord. What? Which is kind of weird because she seemed very close to her sister and her parents. So why is she not writing these letters to them? Right. Maybe because the parents were against the marriage to begin with. So maybe they were, I don't know, maybe they were estranged in a way at this time. Who knows? Yeah. And then in the letter she wrote the day before all of this happened on May 19th, she writes, and I quote, Ronnie is in the boat outside somewhere. By the time he gets back, everything will be over with. He must be afraid something would happen because he is staying an extra day to make sure we go back to Toronto with him. Wow. Yeah. So these letters had a lot of question come along with them. People did not know if these were forged by Ronnie or even by Jack. But a handwriting expert of the time said these were definitely written by Christina However, you and I both kind of had the same thought when we heard that. She had codeine in her system. Was she forced to write these letters? Right. Or did she write them of her own volition? Exactly. And here's another funny thing or weird thing, as it were. So during the inquest, Ronnie changed his story drastically. So initially, 
he said that when he went into the cabin, he didn't see Christina anywhere. But then, then he changed his story and he said that he actually saw Christina lying next to Jack, but she was crying and, quote, completely taciturn. Ronnie stated that he got Jack out and then went back in for Christina. But when he went back in to get her, she was gone. Wait, but that doesn't make sense because the autopsy said that she did not have any smoke in her lungs. Exactly. But there's still yet another working theory. And I know you have this one down pat. So the next working theory is that Ronnie was having money problems. So before the marriage, Jack took out two insurance policies, one on himself and one on Christina. Okay. Which that's not weird in and of itself. Like, you know, most people do that. Here's where it gets weird. Okay. So those life insurance policies were about $5,000 in that day. So today's time, it would be about $265,000 each. Here's where it gets weird. Ronnie took out a life insurance policy on his cabin, which that in and of itself is not weird, but that would have been about a $65,000 life insurance policy in today's money. But the weird thing is on both of those life insurance policies that Jack took out, Ronnie was the beneficiary. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. On Ronnie's insurance policy that he took out on the cabin, who do you think the li- the beneficiary was on oh, that? Oh, let me take a wild stab at that. Jack. Absolutely. So my question is, and like, again, this is just coming. We've both been married for a while now. You can have more than one beneficiary. So you can say, if I die, but my spouse is not, my spouse gets this. But if we both pass away, here's our beneficiary. So that's weird to me because... He could have theoretically had Christina on his, and then Christina could have had Jack on hers. Right. Or you can also say 50% goes to this person and another 50 to that person. Right. But again, why would the two of them be the beneficiaries of all of those policies? That's not looking good for them. No, it's not. So as part of this working theory... During this inquest, Special Crown Counsel appointed C.P. Hope, and C.P. Hope was very doubtful of Ronnie's credibility through all of this. At one point, C.P. Hope was quoted to say, quote, Ronald is a liar of the most blatant kind whose sinister figure permeates the whole of this tragedy, but whose purpose and design are shrouded in mystery, end quote. So the Crown suspected Ronnie all along, and they suspected that he committed premeditated murder. But where does Jack come into this? Well, and that's my question. Did Jack know this was going on? Because according to some of these suicide letters, he would not have known. And I find that weird, but it almost seems like Ronnie was behind this by himself and didn't care who he took as collateral. Right. So... Really, through all the research we've done, there's the working theories that we've discussed. And then there's so many questions and not enough answers for any of it. The theory we haven't talked a lot about, and that's because there's not a lot of research on it, is the fact that this could have been a complete stranger. And there are a few things that do point to that. Christina's wedding ring was never found. 
It was not in the fire. It was not where they found her body. And from my understanding, they did search the nearby woods and it was nowhere to be found. So another weird thing about the wedding ring is disappearing could be because Ronnie took a loan for $12,000 to pay off five men who raped Christina around Easter time before they even got married. So he borrowed this $12,000 and was financially, basically he was having a lot of financial troubles because he borrowed this $12,000 and there's no research that really says where he borrowed that from. So, or whether or not he expected to be repaid for that $12,000. It just says that he took this $12,000 loan to help Christina because of what had happened to her on Easter prior to her and Jack getting married. So that actually gives me even more questions. Why did she go to Ronnie and not go to her fiance? I don't know. And that is another reason why this is all so confusing. Well, and then also another question, where is Ronnie getting all this money When we know good and well, it said that he didn't have a job at the time. His insurance business he was trying to start up, along with his construction business he was trying to start up, didn't make it off the ground. Right. And I'm sorry, how much money can a professional ballroom dancer really make? (laughs) That is a very good question. I I don't think that there are good statistics for that. (laughs) So there's just more questions than answers with all of this, really. And I think equally as interesting is what ended up happening to these two. Jack remarried three years later, which, okay, I mean, if he had nothing to do with it, we can see how that's a normal progression. But his wife and his children did not know about any of this until they were reading it and found out about it in a library. I know. Like his son's wife was an archivist and she's the one who found it. Can you even imagine thinking you knew your parent or your spouse and finding all of this information out? To me, if they hid this from me, I would be assuming it's because they were lying about the whole situation to begin with. Right. But Richard and Sharon, Richard is Jack's son and Sharon his wife did not say anything to Jack about their findings simply because at that point in time, Jack's health was declining and they decided it was better for health reasons to just not say anything. How could they keep their mouth shut? I don't know. So Richard said that basically his parents went to the grave with the details of what happened that fateful day. And what happened to Ronnie? is a lot less flamboyant than everything else he's brought to the table. Right. He basically just disappeared into thin air. So they say that he gave his dog, Ling, which was a Pekingese puppy, to Jack's son, who was only two at the time, and disappeared to New York in 1956, and no one ever saw or heard from him again. No, we don't know where he is. That makes me kind of wonder if he changed his name again and then did some more con artist type things, because that's almost what it seems like now looking back. But there's so much to there's so much to point to every theory that we've discussed. Right. 
And, you know, it's funny because Richard Kettlewell, Jack's son, says that he firmly believes that Ronnie manipulated and or dominated his dad. It's just crazy that to this day, on the death certificate for Christina, it says that she died of drowning. But there's still an open case here because the special crown council still never came to any solid conclusion about whether or not Christina's death was foul play. Can you imagine her poor family and all they've had to deal with and not getting any answers? No. The fact that this entire case became semi-famous in Canada. Though we don't know what happened that fateful May day, we do know one thing for sure. You don't know anybody like you think you do. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope to hear from you again next week when we cover a new tragedy that happened on Destination. This has been a Last Choice podcast, where we may not have been your first choice, but we'll certainly be your last.